Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Indianapolis 500, the month of May is here. We're going to talk about the Miami Grand Prix as we approach the race weekend for that event, and we're going to continue with our best bets of the week. So without further ado, let's get started by talking about the month of May. And for long-time listeners of the show, you know that one thing I rarely do, especially this season, is I've rarely talked about IndyCar. The few times I really have talked about IndyCar, it's been pretty negative to say the least. I talk about how their marketing is so bad that it needs to improve drastically if they want to see no real returns. In fact, in my previous episode where I was talking about the NASCAR Hall of Fame, my buddy NASCAR Opinion, even he stated that he didn't even know there was an IndyCar race going on that weekend because there was just no marketing, no promotion, nothing. Even though IndyCar ratings are up by 50%, they could still barely hit a million viewers per race. But this is all going to change in this month. Because the month of May is ruled by IndyCar. IndyCar owns the month of May. Why is that? It's because... They have the Indianapolis 500, and the Indianapolis 500 is the biggest race in the entire world. It's bigger than Daytona, both the 500 and the Rolex. It's bigger than Monaco, and it's bigger than the 24 Hours of Le Mans. No race means more to the motorsport industry. No race means more just to the automobile industry, more so than the Indianapolis 500 run in Speedway Indiana. Drivers from all over the world come to race at this event, and not just from different countries, but from multiple series as well. From the likes of Kurt Busch from the NASCAR side in 2014, finishing 6th in his first ever IndyCar start, to Fernando Alonso skipping the Monaco Grand Prix in 2017 to come race in the Indianapolis 500, and then again coming back again in 2019, though he failed to qualify. It's the longest lasting race, with over... 105 years of history, of moments, of spectacle. You can't say that for any other big-time crown jewel races, let alone, the, let alone for 100 years. It's the one race, in my opinion, that winning it makes you a legend. If you do nothing, if Austin Sindrick were to retire after the end of the season and his only win was the Daytona 500, he would not be a legend. Because you can't say the Daytona 500 does that. You can't say that winning the Rolex 24 and that's that makes you a legend. You can't say winning the Monaco Grand Prix and nothing else makes you a legend. You can't say that with the 24 Hours of Le Mans. But the Indianapolis 500 is different. Because the race is so prestigious. It's so it's just difficult to get into. And let that, that's another reason why I'm going to go back onto that is... It's so hard just to make it into the Indianapolis 500 because you have to qualify. Now, I know that may sound redundant, but when you think about all the big crowd jewel races, let's go back to the four that I mentioned. The Daytona 500. Most likely, if you're going to win the race, you're going to be a charter team, and the charter teams are already locked in, so they have no threat whatsoever. Rolex 24. Pretty much, if you enter, you're in. Like, you're not good. Like, the only qualifying is just to see where they start on the grid. They're just shuffling the order. It's not really a qualifying. Monaco. Everyone makes it in. I mean, hell, F1 is trying to get more teams in. 
And the 24 hours of the mall, you need to get an invitation to get in. So again, there really is no qualifying procedure. So the Indianapolis 500 is really the only crown jewel race that it's a struggle just to get in. I mentioned it previously, Fernando Alonso 2019 with McLaren. They didn't make the show. What other racing, what other big racing event can you say that about? Can't say that, like I said, about Daytona. You can't say that about Monaco. You can't say for the two sports car races I just mentioned. You can only say that for the Indianapolis 500. And let's go back into the 2016 race. The 100th running in the Indianapolis 500. No one knew who Alexander Rossi was. He was a Formula 1 castaway. He, had, he was in Formula 1, and then he came back to America to race in any car for Andretti Autosport, who he still races for to this day. No one knew who he was. But as soon as he won the Indianapolis 500... Everyone knew his name. From the NASCAR side to the Formula One side to even the dirt side, everyone knew who Alexander Rossi was. His name was put on the map because he won the Indianapolis 500. And you can't say that about any other racing series with any other race. No race compares to the legacy of Indianapolis. Like I just mentioned before, Alexander Rossi, no matter what he does for the rest of his career, his legacy will always be set in stone. Because he won the Indianapolis 500. Takuma Sato. No one really knew that much about him before 2017. And look at him now. He's a two-time Indianapolis 500 champion. That's probably enough to put him in a hall of, in the Motorsport Hall of Fame. Again, this race is probably the only race in the world where winning it once could... I talked about it last episode with NASCAR Opinion. How me and Will were talking about how should winning one championship guarantee you a Hall of Fame entry. In my opinion, no. But winning the Indianapolis 500, that might sound a little contradicting, maybe a little hypocritical. You can make the argument that winning this race will put you in a Motorsport Hall of Fame. Because it is that prestigious. Winning the Indianapolis 500 means more than winning a NASCAR championship. And it means more than winning an IndyCar championship. Maybe not, maybe as much as winning a Formula 1 championship, but I personally would rather win the Indianapolis 500. And again, Alexander Rossi, Takuma Sato, these names that probably no one would ever have heard of, not just from a casual side, but from the motorsport side of things. I mean, think about it. Takuma Sato, before he entered IndyCar, he was known as just another Formula One castaway. He had one podium, and that's about it. But now he's a two-time Indianapolis 500 champion. Respect is put on his name. Winning the Indianapolis 500 puts respect on your name, no matter what you've done in your career before or since, you can't say that about any other race in the world. And just to go on the big side of things, from a physical standpoint, it is not only the biggest race in the world, but the biggest sporting event in the world. Think about it. You could say the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the world, or... The biggest soccer, I don't watch soccer, so I, I think it's a World Cup. I'm not 100% sure, but you could say that's the biggest sporting event in the world. And to that, I counter with this. Do any of them, no matter what the facility is, can they hold over 300,000 people? And not just hold them. Will the 300,000 show up? Because I'll tell you this, well over 300,000 people show up to watch the Indianapolis 500. And that's not just because tickets are affordable, and I'll get to that later when I talk about Miami. But P- 
people from all around the world come to watch this event. Like I said, how many sporting events can you say have 300,000 fans show up? 300,000. That's more than some local towns in some of the states in the in some of the cities in the United States. That's remarkable. And when you watch the Indianapolis 500 broadcast, especially recently, you don't really see any empty bleachers. The crowd is full and the crowd is always on their feet. I'll tell you what. Listening to the broadcast for the 2021 Indianapolis 500, especially towards that finish, you could hear the roar of the crowd over Lee Diffie with his commentary. That's how grandeur this event is. So, I know I don't talk a lot about IndyCar. I know I bash IndyCar a lot, which is a shame because I do like IndyCar. I do like the personalities. But the month of May, it's all IndyCar. Over NASCAR, over Formula One, over everything. Because the Indianapolis 500 is the biggest race in the world. Not just from a sporting event perspective, not, but also from a grandeur perspective. Drivers from all over the country, all over the world, from different multiple series, different disciplines of racing, they come to race in this event because they know that not only just if they qualify for the event, but if they could win this event, their name will be put in the shrine of motorsports history. All right, so moving on, I'm going to now talk about something a little more on the personal side. So the Miami Grand Prix is this weekend, which is now officially my home Formula One track. And I want to talk about the impact on the race from a local perspective. So I'll tell you this right off the bat. This feels bigger, like a bigger event than the 2020 Super Bowl when they play the Super Bowl, obviously, at Hard Rock Stadium, which is where they'll be racing the Miami Grand Prix. If you don't know, they basically turned the parking lot into, I guess it's now called the Miami Grand, the Miami Autodrome or whatever it's called. <clears throat> because non-F1 fans and even racing fans are talking about this event. I don't know, I was, in my, I was in the break room at my job the other day, and almost all the co-workers were talking about, oh, would you hear the Miami Grand Prix is here? Oh, we should try to go to that race. You know, they were, they were talking about Formula One, something that they probably wouldn't even know existed if they've never heard of the Miami Grand Prix in the first place. It's a vibe that I've never felt for any other thing in my life in terms of just an event, the spectacle. Because you see people, you're seeing people really get excited for this event. I'm not saying people don't get excited for events down here in South Florida, but it's just a different feeling, you know. I've never seen so much energy, so much hype, so much grandeur for an event like this. Really, ever. Well, then again, it's probably because most of, you know, our local teams are usually hot garbage. I mean, just now, Miami, the Miami Dolphins went from being a bottom feeder in the NFL to now decent if not in the middle, I'm going off topic. So there's a lot of positivity in the air just from a vibe perspective, you know, how everyone's feeling, how everyone is hyped for this event. Now let's move on to the negative side of things. And there really is only, in my opinion, one big glaring negative is that, and again, this is probably me being very biased so, take it with a smidge grain of salt. 
But the tickets are stupid expensive. What do I mean by stupid expensive? Because obviously, you know, everyone's in a different financial situation. They might be able to afford, you know, maybe something that's $100 is considered stupid expensive to someone compared to maybe a million dollars. But let me just give you guys the numbers. So an average ticket for the Miami Grand Prix goes for about $2,000. $2,000. That's a number two with three zeros to the right of it. To put it into perspective, the Dirty Mo Media Experience, which if you were to pay the amount, which I'll mention the amount in a second, you get parking, you get to watch the race in a suite, you get unlimited food, unlimited drinks, you get gifts, you get to play games, and you get to meet a bunch of the Dirty Mo Media members, including the spotters for Door Bumper Clear. You know how much that cost? $1,200. I would rather pay for that than pay an extra $800 just to sit in the bleachers and watch a race. And most local, I guarantee you, if you look at the attendance for, any, for the Miami Grand Prix and look at their addresses or however, like, the census or demographic, I guarantee you majority of those fans are not going to be from the South Florida area. They're not. Because no one is going to, especially down here in South Florida, let me tell you something, no one is going to pay over $2,000 to watch this race. Especially because down here in South Florida, with stuff like gas and rent, where it's way more expensive compared to everywhere else in the United States, maybe besides California and New York, is stupid expensive. Gas down here is probably on average about $4.20, $4.30. Compare that up to the Carolinas, where it's probably on average about $3.60, which is still expensive, but again, rent for another day. And when you got rent... Where for a studio apartment, you'll be lucky to find something for $1,000 a month. Again, for a studio, not even a bedroom. No one's going to pay $2,000, at least who's local, to go watch this race. So it's a shame that most of the local fan base, most of the local you know, population, is not going to be able to experience this race. And it's a shame. Unless you watch on the highway, which again is probably going to be caught off by a bunch of cops. So, in my opinion, it takes away from the event a little bit, knowing that a lot of local fans won't be able to watch this event. I know me and my other co-worker, who's a massive Formula 1 fan, even my store manager, who I don't think he's a Formula 1 fan, but even the three of us, we were like, we're trying to get tickets, but they're so expensive, we just haven't been able to do so. And to even go further to the expensive side of things, so I saw a tweet last night where... One guy, he was at, you know, the Miami Grand Prix, I guess, party, or before party. I forgot exactly what it was called. And he said that to pay for two lemonades, he had to pay $35. That's a lot of money for two lemonades. I know sporting events, and again, this is from, like I said, this whole segment is kind of from a personal standpoint. Again, I'm very biased talking about this. I'm probably a little bit jealous because I can't go to the race. But, how are you going to pay $35 for two lemonades? Like, I don't know what the policy is for, you know, coolers and bringing stuff into a Grand Prix event. But if you could bring a cooler, you could bring your own drinks or whatever, stock that thing up to, like, to hell. Because you're not going to want to pay a dime for anything for concessions in that race. So, 
it's a it's a flip side of things. It's like two sides of the same coin, in a sense. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for the Miami Grand Prix, especially if feelings for me. And again, this is someone who lives about half an hour from the racetrack, where, you know, I'm happy about the vibe, the energy, you know, just everything that, like, you know, from the outside perspective that this race is bringing to the area. To see everyone talking about Formula One, to talk about racing when an otherwise they wouldn't, I really like that. From a diehard racing fan who's been watching motorsport for 15 years. But, again, that price, knowing that most of the local fan base, most of the local population won't even be able to really watch it. Most of the audience is going to be celebrities, rich people. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. I have nothing against celebrities. I have nothing against rich people. I want to make that very clear. But knowing that the local population won't even really be able to experience the race like this, it's kind of a shame for me. In my opinion, it, it a little bit kind of defeats the purpose of the Miami Grand Prix. I wish tickets were at least, a, even if they were like a thousand, like make it at least try to make it under a thousand dollars. If you can make it under a thousand dollars, then you know, I think you would get more of the local population to show up. But again, two thousand dollars for a ticket, it kind of just, it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And again, I'm probably just biased. Alright, let's finish off the episode with my favorite segment of the week, Best Bets of the Week. If you guys don't know how this works, basically I'll go on to a sportsbook or multiple sportsbooks. Like, for example, all four of these races are going to be on DraftKings Sportsbook. That's where the bets are provided from, not sponsored, by the way. I look through the betting odds, the betting lines, and I make my favorite pick. And what my favorite pick means is that's not necessarily who I think is going to win the race, but who I think you get the most of bang for your buck if said driver was to win the race. I give you my least favorite pick, who I think basically if you bet on this guy, you're basically throwing your money away. And my out-of-the-box pick, which is most of the time my driver who's outside the top 10 in terms of betting odds. But who I think if he were to win, if certain things were to line up the correct way, you would be able to get a hefty payday from it. So with that being said, let's get started. We're going to... We are going to talk about the Cup race, the Xfinity race, and the Truck race at Darlington, along with the Miami Grand Prix. So let's begin with the Cup race at Darlington. And again, all these betting lines are provided by DraftKings Sportsbook. So Kyle Larson is currently the favorite at plus 400 for the Cup race at Darlington. My favorite bet to place for this race is Chase Elliott at plus 800 with the fourth best odds. Yes, he has an 18.6 average finish at Darlington, but if you take away the races without incident... That average finish jumps up to 9.3. And he is currently the points leader with the 9.6 average finish. He just won the race at Dover on Monday. He has the best average finish, and he's the only driver this season with an average finish under 10. So Chase Elliott, I love him as a bet to place to win the race at Darlington. My least favorite is Denny Hamlin. I know this is Denny Hamlin's best track. I know I sound like I'm on drugs for saying Denny Hamlin you should not put money on him. But he's been so bad this year, besides that one strategic win at Richmond, that I cannot place any bet on Denny Hamlin, even at his best track, until I can see him finish a race. I know he got caught up in an incident with Cody Ware on Monday, where he had probably the fastest car on track. But again, until I can see Denny Hamlin finish a race and actually finish even in the top 15, this is the perfect track to do it. But until then, I'm going to steer away from Denny Hamlin from now on. My out-of-the-box pick is Christopher Bell with the 13th best odds at plus 3,000. 
this is the main reason why I'm picking Christopher Bell. Besides Chase Elliott and maybe Ross Chastain, Christopher Bell probably has the most momentum in the Cup Series right now. After Martinsville at race 8, he was 19th in the points. Three races later in race 11, he's 10th in the standings. A 9-position gain in the standings. He's on an upward trajectory unlike any other currently in the Cup Series right now. So for plus 3,000, Bell, he's a, he's a good track for Chris Bell. If certain things go his way, I think Chris Bell is a great out-of-the-box pick at plus 3,000. Moving on to the Xfinity race at Darlington, where again, Chase Elliott is the favorite at plus 350. And he is my favorite bet to place for this race. For the sole reason of this, motor racing is so difficult to have anyone, even in Formula 1 for most instances, have a bet where the betting line is in the negatives. Especially in NASCAR. In any of the three divisions. So Chase Elliott, and I said this about my Ty Gibbs pick earlier in the season. Chase Elliott's the only driver that has a negative that has a negative odd to finish inside of the top five. The only one. That, that should tell you something on what Vegas and what all these betting odds are thinking Chase Elliott's going to do. And again, these guys who make these betting odds, they're a lot smarter than me, a lot smarter than you, a lot smarter than most of us. So if they're saying that Chase Elliott, he's basically all but guaranteed to finish inside of the top five, I'm going to take their word for it. And I'm going to pick Chase Elliott as my favorite bet to place to win the race. My least favorite is Ty Gibbs at plus 600. Why is that? Ty Gibbs has probably been the fastest driver this season. Maybe not the most consistent, but the fastest. And that consistency is where I have my problems. Darlington is a track where you need to be consistent all race long. You can't make any mistakes at a track like Darlington. There's no margin for error around this track. And Ty Gibbs, he's very aggressive, and he's also very raw. So when he makes mistakes, they come with the price. I don't trust Ty Gibbs to have a mistake-free race. So if he does have a mistake, I think that's going to cost him dearly. So, third best odds, plus 600 for a driver that most likely will make a mistake, that will rub a driver off the wrong way, and at a track where if you make a mistake, it could end your day. I don't like those odds. Ty Gibbs is not a bet that I would place on for Darlington. My out-of-the-box pick, I'm going to give it to Brandon Jones. Two, plus 2,000 with the 11th best odds. He's won at this track before. He has four top 10s at eight starts at Darlington, and he has zero DNFs. To have zero DNFs at a track like Darlington is incredible. And for plus 2,000, with the value you'd get if Brandon Jones were to win, he is my favorite out-of-the-box pick to win the race. Moving on, let's go to the Truck Series race at Darlington, where John Hunter Nemechek, front row Joe Jr. himself, is currently the favorite at plus 350. My favorite to win the race? You know, because it's, it's so difficult with the trucks because they've just now, this is only their second year back at Darlington in over, I believe, 10 years or so. So it's kind of hard to have, you know, like, oh, this driver's good at Darlington. This driver sucks at Darlington. So you kind of got to go off of who's been good this season, who's been bad this season. So my favorite bet is going to be Ben Rhodes with the third best odds of plus 800. He's currently the points leader by a good margin. I believe his points gap is 38. So he's built himself a cushion. And he has the most top fives and the most top ten so far this season. What does that tell you? He's consistent. He's consistently up front. Unlike really any other driver this season, like I said, I mean, you have the most top fives and most top tens with five. So if you know Brandon, not Brandon, Ben Rhodes is going to be up front at a track where you need to stay up front like Darlington. I like Ben Rhodes with 
the third best odds at plus 800 to, to win the race. My least favorite is the driver with the second best odds, Ross Chastain at plus 450. And nothing against Ross Chastain, it's just Nice Motorsports hasn't shown winning speed since 2019 when they had an alliance with GMS. So you're going to have a team with no winning speed. On top of that, they're bringing five trucks for some reason. So resources are going to be dispersed across five different trucks. I don't like Ross Chastain's chances to win the race, period. And then on top of that, you give me only plus 450 odds to win. Maybe if he was the eighth or maybe if he was like outside the top five, I'd probably take a chance on him. But to be only plus 450 with a very, in my opinion, unlikely chance to win, I don't like Ross Chastain at plus 450 to win. My out-of-the-box pick is Grant Enfinger plus 2,000 with the 11th best odds. He's on an upward trajectory so far this season after a kind of semi, if a kind of bad start to the season, and that's shown in his result. He has three straight top 10s with a 10th and 8th and an 8th in the last three races. So if he keeps his upward trajectory up, Grant Enfinger, if certain things fall the right way, I think Grant Enfinger has a good shot at winning the race. And at plus 2,000, you would get a lot of value for that. And the final race we're going to mention is the Miami Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen is currently the favorite at plus 100. My favorite bet to place for this race is, really so far this season, it has to be either Verstappen or Charles. So this time I'm going to pick Charles Leclerc at plus 120, the second best odds. He's pretty much equal to Max Verstappen so far this year. Maybe Verstappen's a little bit ahead in terms of just, I'm talking about just pure driving. But with slightly worse odds at plus 120, where you're basically giving me the same driver and you can get a little more value out of one of them, I'm going to pick Charles Leclerc at plus 120 with the second best odds. My least favorite, and he's probably going to be my least favorite until I see otherwise, is again Carlos Sainz at plus 1600 with the fourth best odds. Let me show you how far off Vegas thinks that Carlos Sainz is from Charles Leclerc. Even though you've already heard it. Leclerc is the second best odds at plus 120. Carlos Sainz is the fourth best odds at plus 1600. That is more than 10 times. So Vegas is basically saying that that Charles Leclerc is over 10 times ahead of Carlos Sainz. And I agree with them. Sainz has not shown so far this season that he's been able to keep up with Leclerc. So until I see otherwise, I think any bet placed on Carlos Sainz is just throwing away your money. My out-of-the-box pick is actually the driver with the third-best odds in between Leclerc and Sainz is Sergio Perez at plus 1,200. Because Perez, he's closer to Verstappen than he was last year, and he's actually shown winning speed this year. We've seen it in Saudi Arabia. He probably wouldn't have won that race if it wasn't for that safety car with Latifi. So he's actually shown winning speed, unlike Carlos Sainz. So again... If he can bring that Saudi Arabia speed to Miami, Sergio Perez at plus 1,200 would be a great bet to place on. And it's very rare that you see a driver with really that has value that's in plus 1,000 or above win the race. Perez is probably your best chance to get that. So Sergio Perez is my out-of-the-box pick. And with that, that's going to conclude it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much. If you guys want to listen to the rest of the back catalog of the Motorsport Ministry, all previous episodes, just search up the Motorsport Ministry on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You'll be able to find all previous episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time.